Welcome to the Dixie Polis Podcast. My name's Travis. And this is Luke. We are Southern Men De-Reconstructing the South. So today we have another interview. We have Zach Garris. Um, we're going to interview him. Uh, he is the editor of Dabney on Fire, uh, the book that we've been reviewing over the past, uh, what, two months or so? Yeah, and, about uh, two months. Yeah. Uh, so, Zach, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm a <clears throat> pastor in the PCA out in uh, New Mexico, and I uh, before that I practiced law, and uh, yeah, I've written this book on uh, Robert Dabney, and I uh, also you guys probably mentioned is uh, masculine Christianity. So, so, so how how did you go about discovering um, Dr. Dabney? Uh, it, growing up and going through all the reformed theology that I, I have the past five years or so i've never heard the name robert lewis dabney until about a year ago um how did you go about you know discovering him yeah well i think one of the reasons you and many others have never heard of dabney is because uh, a lot of people want to ignore him and act like he never existed um <clears throat> i think part of that's due to his writings on uh, slavery. But that being said, Dabney is one of, if not the greatest theologian in American history. He, you know, wrote on lots of material, a wide range of subjects. He was not only a theologian and pastor, but also a philosopher. And, you know, he has a, you know books on philosophy, but also a systematic theology so he, he should be well known, but he's been in many ways uh, swept under the rug uh, by modern uh, men. I first heard of Dabney when I was in seminary in Mississippi at RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary. And I heard his name, didn't really know much about him other than that he was a Southern Presbyterian theologian, so lived in the 1800s. The, the big thing I had heard about him, you know, was tied with his uh, defense of Southern slavery. But I also started to hear other things that he was pretty influential in the Southern Presbyterian Church just theologically. And so I, I didn't start reading him right away. But over time, I think what happened is I uh, was studying the subject of education. I had taught at a Christian school for two years. And um, during that time, I was thinking and writing on the subject of education. And Dabney's, came, Dabney's name came up in some things that I had read. And he had written a lot on education. And so that was my introduction to him, was his uh, critique of secular education. He has a essay called Secularized Education, which he was uh, criticizing and um, uh, opposing the Virginia public school system. It was a state system that was being implemented in his day, and he opposed it. And so he was uh, attacking it, and that's, that's where some of his writings on the subject came about. But, but he has a lot of great things to say, not just against government uh, education, but also just in favor of Christian education and uh, how parents should play a big role in their 
their children's education. So that's how I first got into him. And I started reading more and more of his stuff and, you know, discovered his discussions, which are his um, collected works. It's uh, well, originally four volumes. Now it's five. So yeah, that's, that's how I uh, first got into Dabney. When the first time I heard secular education, um, again, this is the first time my first introduction to Dabney was on uh, the Canon press app and they had a, uh, the, you know, the audio book on there. And I could have swore that that, that that essay was written in like 1970 and, uh, come to figure out or come to find out rather it was, uh, like the 1870s, 1880s. And I was just like, man, he was a prophet. Like he, he just, he saw everything that was going to come down the pipe and he, he was accurate almost to a T. Um, But okay, so, so you you discovered Dabney, and then you you decided to comp- compile some of his main essays. What was the 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 driving force behind reprinting and bringing all of these old works to light in um in uh twenty twenty? Well, was it twenty? I don't have the book in twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Uh, in twenty nineteen of all years. Uh, bringing you know Dabney's uh, thought processes and his writings to back into the uh, the forefront of of uh, well Christian literature really. Yeah, I think uh, from my own experience, I you know I loved uh, some of these essays that I had read of his, especially on what are still very relevant topics uh, like education or feminism, and. It's not that Dabney's material was impossible to find because it's all available free online. But if you want to do that, you you often have to go through difficult formats to read, maybe some scanned PDFs of of books. Or you can buy his discussions, uh, which is, uh, you know, going to cost you at least $100 or so, uh, maybe more. It depends if it's uh, in print or not. And there is a banner of truth edition that's a little bit, uh, it, it, well, they did a whole series, I think three volumes, but they're very hard to get. You can get volume three still, and it's not too pricey, maybe under $30, but they actually cut out some essays in there, I found out. So even Banner of Truth, which is a you know kind of a well-known publisher for reprinting Christian works of old they you know they do sometimes cut things out and they were doing this with dabney they cut out his uh his women's rights uh women essay <laughs> so it's just they thought it was a little too spicy yeah yeah so i was like well okay so you can't even get it there now you could go find it online and i had read it online so what i was doing is just trying to make dabney's uh essays more accessible uh if you're like me you like books and most people aren't going to buy the discussions, you know, the whole five volume set. So this was kind of a way of introducing people to Dabney. I also wrote an introductory essay um, to provide some background on him. And so there was some new material in this book. But yeah, this was this was my way of saying, like, here's here's a book you can get or I can recommend to people. That's an introduction to Robert Dabney. And it's going to give you not all of his uh, writings or topics that he wrote on, but a few that I thought were really good and they do relate to one another. They have relevance towards today. 
And, um, you know, and for some people, they might stop with the book. They might think this is good, but they might want to move on to some of his other writings as well. Um, and so, yeah, so I selected these four uh, parenting, education, feminism and government. Um, and uh, yeah, they all, all do relate, obviously related to family issues, um, but also government and uh, even with the education essay that, you know, gets into this, the issue of the relationship of the government to the schools and education. And so, um, yeah, there's some overlap between the essays, but they, they also cover, you know, four different topics. So. From my end, Zach, um, <clears throat> I've been reading a lot about education because my kids are getting old enough where we're going to have to start homeschooling them. And the secularized education was, was very influential on me just simply because of what I'm trying to do right now with my children. Uh, but in the larger scheme, um, it, it seemed to have uh, providentially been brought in to the other things that I'm reading because I'm getting into, uh, so Norms and Nobility, for instance, by uh, David Hicks, I think it is. Um, that's one of the books that I've been getting into. Um, I've got uh, my, my, my to read list is um, education through the great tradition. It goes all the way back to Plato and Aristotle and then comes through uh, the church fathers as well, even through Aquinas on education um, and quote some contemporary guys in classical education. Um, so the, the, the things that I've been dealing with has been how modernity has really warped our view of reality itself, much less the family. And I see some of that coming through in Dabney on women's rights, women, where he talks about um, uh, traditional English law, and he goes back to Blackstone and and talks about the the various influence on English law when it came to uh, inalienable natural rights, and how a lot of these women's liberation women were invested into the Marxist and the leftist uh, movements. Um, how does that? all fit into the larger picture for you as far as education? Well, yeah, I think that uh, the public school system is not an isolated, not an isolated event. It came into being, um, I think it was the early 1800s with uh, mid, mid 1800s with uh, Horace Mann and it, this is the statewide system. And so that started in Massachusetts and then it, it spread from there and, and started taking off in places like Virginia. And so that's where Dabney was, was fighting against it. Um, but the push for the public school system was, you know, the, the people pushing for it were not primarily Christian. Some of the Christians went along with it, but there was debate over, well, how's, How's the Bible and prayer and all of these things going to play a role? Uh, because, you know, we have our little Christian schoolhouse, you know, in our area, or we teach the Bible at home. How's it going to, how's it going to work with a government school system? And so Dabney gets into that, but 
a lot of the people behind this were not conservative Orthodox Christians, but they were radicals in many ways. So uh, whether they right. were aboli- abolitionists or feminists or some of these other things. Um, so that's why Dabney, he, he refers to these people as radicals and this ide- ideology as radicalism. And it, it opposed essentially hierarchy in society, hierarchical structures, uh, including even in the home. So, you know, male headship in the home is, is really what, what feminism is after. And you, you really see this to our day, you know, you know, in our own day, is that you can't separate the public school system from other things going on. They're not just some neutral, you know, body that we just want kids to be educated and be able to do math or something. No, they have... They, they have things they want to teach your children. They have things they want, you know, society to hold to or the things they want to see changed. And the way they can best accomplish this is through education, especially education of young people. And so, I mean, yeah, we're even seeing that in our own day, right? There's debates over uh, CRT, critical race theory in the schools. And, and I'm glad to see parents fighting back, but I'm also like, is this really the the first time you're going to make a big stink of things right i mean you've had the lgbt stuff going on in the schools for years now and mm-hmm. while the schools differ some in some of the school districts on that issue it's become pretty widespread and uh i i almost would challenge people to find me an exception where it's not taking place um and so all of these things are connected and yeah, you have, even today, if you look at the colleges of education where public school teachers are trained and receive their college degree so that they can go teach in public schools, these are the most radical, you know, leftist colleges within the university system. Um, maybe social work would be the other option, other um, mm-hmm college that competes with them but i mean yeah so these so the teachers are are mostly leftists there's not a lot of conservatives in the in the public schools the administration is leftist and they're teaching children not only non-christian things but anti-christian things and and dabney warned about that i don't know if he knew exactly what was going to be going on but that's what we're seeing today and uh yeah, so it's it's all interconnected, and the schools are are that important because children are that important, and and people need to wake up. Uh, they should have woken up a long time ago, but um, I guess maybe there's still a chance. Uh, the, the biggest um, curiosity for me, I say that curiosity because I'm not surprised. Um, it's it's disgusting, but I'm not surprised at it. The biggest question mark that went off was. A lot of these teachers, uh, a lot of these parents, rather, were saying, well, I didn't know this was being taught in school. Um, and there was a one of the counties over in Virginia had actual pedophilic pornography being promoted to 12 to 16 year olds. And, you know, the the mother was justifiably outraged. Uh, but she just she said, I didn't know this was happening. And it's that lack of control of being able to guide your own children that, that you lose with 
education like that. Yeah, I think there's there's some parents who maybe know what's going on in their schools, but but in one sense, even if you really tried, you can't know everything that's said in school unless mm-hmm. you're going to go sit in there all the time. So this is one of the problems. You're you're hiring these teachers essentially to teach your children. Well, do you know these people? You know, do you interact with them outside of school? Do they go to your churches? You know, and for a lot of these people, the answer is no. And you don't know them very well. And yet you're going to have them teach your children. I mean, that's kind of a crazy thing when you think about it. Um, would you let a stranger babysit your kid? Well, I would hope not. Um, now, I mean, you're talking about them actually training your children. Right. So that's the thing. So I think parents today, a lot of them don't fully understand education. I don't think they have a good idea of what act, what it's supposed to be and what it's supposed to accomplish. So that's part of the problem. Uh, but for a lot of people, and this is this may sound harsh, but I think it's true for a lot of people, public school is glorified babysitting. And it's just a way for mom and dad to both go off to work and uh, leave the kids with somebody else. I like how the the first essay in there is the parental, well actually it's the sermon, parental responsibilities, how Dabney talks about the the parents have this, this, uh, this very heavy hand in how the child actually goes. But now that we have public schools, we're just subsidizing that out to someone that's not their parents. So instead of the parents having this heavy hand and informing and molding the child now it's strangers and and typically strangers that actually hate you uh for for instance i I, i'll speak for myself but definitely uh, i probably the same thing for lucas um being raised in the south and 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 taught you know history in in southern public schools is we're taught to hate our parents and our parents ideal values because we're this evil blight upon society uh, that we need to, to scourge out and basically uh, purify. Um, it's very pure, puritanical, but uh, that, that's what it is. All my teachers were Rousseauian. They, they thought Rousseau was the best thing ever. Um, they, they hated Southern heritage. They hated Southern values. Uh, anything were about the South or something. Were these teachers uh, Southern themselves? Uh, no, they were all from New England. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you and, go. And, in fact, in fact, I know for a fact that, um, uh, there were two of them specifically from, from deep Massachusetts. I mean, you could tell from the accent. So Yankees, you had Yankees teaching. Yeah. What did, what do they expect? I mean, so th- this is the problem. is so public school, I, I, I oppose the government being involved in education, but there's other issues at hand. You know, if if the more local, the public school, the better it would be. Right. So if you're bringing teachers from your community and your communities kind of like-minded and they all go to, you know, the same churches and everything, and you're hiring Christians and they share all your values, public school could work. Okay. Right. It's a local district. Um, But the further, out the government gets the worse it gets so you not only have states running the school system today where they have a heavy hand in, in involved but also 
the federal government. And so you have lots of things at play. And then like I already mentioned the, the colleges of education and, that, and that's a big problem is the, there's really a lot of this top down influence. And um, yeah. So the, the fact that they're bringing people in from another culture, of, of course they don't like the South. I mean, these people grew up in an area that has, you know, historically been at odds with the South. <laughs> Well, we, we have the enemy coming in to teach our children, a cultural enemy. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like Vody Bauckham said, you know, you, you, you send your kids off to Rome and surprise when they come home Romans. Uh, and that's essentially what we're doing is we're teaching people, you know, our kids to to um, to hate their, their heritage, their past, and their traditions. But uh, so... You wrote uh, to to segue here, uh, so we're not just sitting here beating. I mean, because I could beat the the public school dead horse until you know the cows come home. But uh, um, to to segue into you know you you wrote another book. Um, did you uh, you wrote the book Masculine Christianity? Uh, did Dabney influence you writing that book, or did you want to write the book and then you just pull from Dabney? That makes sense. I would say it's a little bit of both. So the book was mostly inspired just by my uh, uh, disdain of feminism, <laughs> which had grown over the years. And I experienced it in a lot of ways. I mean, one, just growing up in the United States and, uh, you know, seeing feminism in, I guess I especially saw it in college. Uh, but I also even saw it in the church as I was involved in uh, the Reformed Church in America is a Dutch Reformed uh, denomination, which is pretty far gone at this point. Um, but when I was there, there were still some conservatives and we were holding out hope of reform. And they had women pastors and uh, seminary professors and elders and all of that kind of thing. And so I've seen it firsthand in the church, feminism that is, and I had studied some things related to it, some of the passages that I get into in there. And so part of that was I, I had read books over the years on the subject of feminism and, you know, specifically theologically, you have the whole egalitarian, which is like the feminist camp versus complementarian, which is supposed to be more traditional conservative male headship in the home and church kind of thing. So I'd been exposed to that, but I was somewhat dissatisfied with the literature on the subject. And so that's why I felt like there was a need. I'm like, I don't have a good book that I can just recommend to people on, you know, male headship in the home and church. And while there's some that get into it, I often thought they had like serious deficiencies and most of them would not touch things outside the church. They wouldn't speak of like male leadership in civil government or against women soldiers. You rarely hear people address those subjects. So I want to get into those, but it was, and Dabney touches on those. So that's, that's maybe where partly where Dabney comes in. Uh, but also understanding feminism and its problems, including the problem of first wave feminism. So Dabney really, influenced my thinking there because i i hadn't read a whole lot on first wave feminism and uh 
and certainly not critiquing it, right? You always hear of Elizabeth Cady Stanton and um, Susan B. Anthony, and they're held up as heroes, or at least they, they often don't take about talk about Stanton. They only talk about um, um, Susan B. Anthony because she wasn't as radical. So my book was seeking to fill a gap in the literature and, and touch on some of these things that don't get touched on, but also in my own thought, be more faithful to the scriptures and hold a more consistent position uh, than, than what's often found with uh, among complementarians. And uh, yeah, so Dabney in that sense, I, you know, I, I think I mostly quote him and reference him in the first chapter on feminism and then the last chapter which has some practical application though i mentioned him a couple other times i think so he he has influenced my thought there and, and really maybe he filled in the helped fill in some of the gaps uh w one of the things that i really liked about masculine christianity is is you're not just stating a position you're you're defending and exegeting from the original sources um and, and not many not many people can do that and still make the book interesting um, most of the time, you know, it's like, it's like eating sawdust, but you actually managed to bring it all together and put a nice little, you know, put it in a nice little package and put a bow on it. Um, so I, I'm happy for that. So thank you for that. Um, but okay. So how, how do you, how would you rate the, ma the masculinity of American Christianity today without you know, divulging t too much of the book, like if we were going to rate and evaluate the average, not mainstream church, because I would hesitate, I mean, I would hesitate to call a lot of those Christians today. Uh, they're more of just cultural gathering centers, but within the reformed community, uh, particularly because that's where us three are, are, are predominant in, uh, how would you rate the actual masculinity effect there? Or, yeah. Yeah, if we're, if we're speaking outside the reformed world, the church is definitely not very masculine. Um, and I think that's clear because you have, you know, women pastors um, abounding and um, just even the way worship services are done is often very effeminate, right? I, I joke about singing love songs to Jesus. But I, I think this is even a problem in the reformed church. Um, I mean, there are more liberal churches within that, that would call themselves reformed or, you know, Calvinistic. I think even in the conservative reformed world though, you know, when you think of the PCA or the OPC or, um, you know, some reformed Baptist uh, churches and denominations, I think even in those churches, there's, there's some problems here. And some of that came about within the last couple of years I mean, you can think of someone like Beth Moore, right? There's been that whole issue, but, but even in the reform world, there was the Amy Bird, uh, fiasco and her book and, um, was recovering from biblical manhood and womanhood, which is a shot at the book by Piper and Grudem, uh, the complementarian book, uh, recovering biblical manhood and womanhood. And then, uh, there was another book by Miller. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, Beyond Authority and Submission. This was published by PNR, right? Presbyterian Reform. This is supposed to be a conservative, you know, basically OPC uh, publisher. They said ties there. And so you have these books like being published 
that are not even complementarian, right? They're really, they, they wouldn't come out and say, oh, we're, we're in favor of women pastors, but they're pushing against complementarianism. And that's pretty disturbing. And, uh, but instead of seeing like widespread condemnation, you had a lot of men, including pastors, like supporting these women, um, which is pretty sad, I think. And so I think this, I think that's just evidence of a deeper problem in the church, in the reformed world, uh, which is that feminism actually has a hold of the church in many ways. Uh, even the churches that would say that they, well, we only have male pastors and elders. We're not egalitarian. Okay. Well, how do you, what, what about the home? You know, are you actually teaching that a husband has authority over his wife in the home? Or are you kind of dancing around Ephesians five, which I've often found to be the case. Um, and then, you know, you could speak more broadly and, uh, you know, applying these things to women in leadership and civil government or combat, right? How many, how many, how many Christian men want to come out and just say, uh, yeah, of course women shouldn't be serving in military combat. I mean, you'll find some, but there's enough that are afraid to even speak on that, which I think is like a really obvious issue. So um, I guess to sum it up is to say that the church, including the Reformed Church, has been heavily influenced by feminism. Uh, I, I think we can say that without a doubt. And we have a lot of feminists in some sense in our pews. Um, and a lot of this, and I didn't get into this, a lot of this is tied even with uh, women seeking careers instead of having children and, and, um, and home life. And so that's, that's kind of the uh, sacred cow that complementarians don't want to touch. They don't want to talk about that issue, but it's a huge issue. It's a huge problem because our birth rates are dropping massively, right? Even in the church. And so, you know, that's a whole issue in and of itself uh, that we could get into, but um, you'll find few uh pastor is willing to touch that subject so oh, no. two things to kind of uh two things to kind of add in there um first the <clears throat> the progress of um feminism through the church because it's it's i think it's infested pretty deep um it it seems to it seems to kind of correlate with the same guys who are now pushing the CRT thing. Um, and so in masculine Christianity, you talk about how the complementarians are kind of quiet about the, the social sphere while they talk, you know, sometimes very avidly about the, the family and the church sphere. And the one thing that I'm seeing right now is, you know, the Piper and the Keller, uh, Piper and Keller are both involved in this almost subversive uh, advocacy for CRT. Um, it, just the, the videos that Piper's been putting out and the way that Keller's been talking about it, uh, that whole group with the Gospel Coalition and a few others, they seem to be if not advocating for it, subverting the traditional understanding of masculinity and femininity. Uh, do you kind of see those things as related or do you think they're, 
you know, one's just kind of an addition to the other. I think they're, they're certainly distinct, but they are related, I think, in some sense, in that they're both worldly, you know, non-Christian views, right? So I, I don't hold to either feminism or critical race theory. And the cultural pressure is pushing both. So a lot of, I think that's, that's my best explanation for why some of the same people would be pushing both. So if they're caving on male headship issues, then they're probably also caving on racial issues. They want to be, you know, please people to some extent or, um, and I, you know, Piper, I've seen Piper, he's actually maybe better, one of the better complementarians on, uh, on some things. So I, I certainly have my disagreements with him. But when it comes to CRT, I can't speak too much other than, other than to say that he's, you know, he's got into the issue of race a lot in recent years. And I generally don't always care for what he has to say on, on some of these things. Uh, Keller, I've seen videos of him that outright seem to be supporting, you know, things with critical race theory and critical theory in general, which is that, you know, white people being in the majority, which they're only in the majority in the United States, not in a lot of these other countries, um, right. you know, are oppressive by nature. And so, you know, there's structural uh, racism there. Of course, they never bring these things up in other countries, which is wh- why I mean, that's one of the many reasons why I think their views are just totally crazy, but yeah, Keller, Keller's is his own animal. Um, he's he's on the progressive wing of the PCA, and there's there's several issues that I would have with his, his theology, um, including his view of uh creationism and he's, he's more of like a evolution a theistic evolutionist but um yeah he said some pretty wild things lately uh that's <laughs> that's gotten press on uh social media yeah that, that's that's kind of what i was asking it kind of feeds into the second thing um i wanted to bring up uh paul maxwell i'm not sure if you know who that is um i do i do know who he is yeah okay uh so he had a stint of videos back in i think it was 2016 or 2017 uh, talking about how the church has basically lost all element of masculinity and it just turns men off where they just don't want to be involved. Um, and it caters itself to softness and tenderness. And uh, while, I've, you know, Maxwell has apostated and he needs to repent, return to Christ. I felt that I, I felt a lot of, um, I don't want to say felt because it's not accurate. Uh, I, 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 I believe that there was a lot of validity to what he was saying. I want to put it that way. Um, where he's addressing almost a, a, a disgust of masculinity in the church and how it's just ran by women and it caters to women. Um, and when you bring this up, if, if, when you bring this into alignment with uh, books like Father Hunger by Douglas Wilson... And now with your book, Masculine Christianity, there, there seems to be um, there seems to be a case that our current institutions have basically failed us in the church. 
And instead of trying to promote the biblical truth and speaking to men specifically and dealing with men as men, they almost want to deal with men as women. And if you don't act like a woman, then they have a problem with you. You're being too brash. You're being too arrogant. Uh, I, I, I guess the, the, the question I'm asking is it, it, because that seems to be the the thread that you're pulling on in masculine Christianity. Yeah, I think that there, there definitely is something there with the church looking more effeminate. It's appealing not just to women, but maybe primarily to women and not to men as men. And so what's resulted from that is a lot of manlier men have left the church or they've just gotten frustrated with it and you know they they don't know what to do and where to go although there are some you know there's some churches that are friendlier towards men for sure um but a lot of this is a reflection i think of the pulpit and pastors in general Mm -hmm. maybe maybe the pastorate has become less masculine um but certainly pastors are not preaching um to attract more masculine men. Uh, and, and there's a lot of things you could get into here, but, you know, I even think of a lot of times pa- preachers won't speak to the sins of women, right? They only, they act like men are always at fault for things. Uh, so there's right. that, there's that whole stream, which is a problem um, when both men and women have, you know, their own faults, uh, often distinct challenges and sins, but they both, are sinful and need, uh, you know, different things preached to them sometimes. Uh, but yeah, then the, the, the worship style, I think that's been a huge problem when you think of, uh, music, especially, right. I, I mean, this is something I've always had a problem with in the United States is the, the music at a lot of these churches is just terrible and very sensual. Yes. Yes. Very. It's like, they're trying to like put on a concert and it's like pop music. Mm -hmm. It sounds like love songs. And it's just, it's really, you know, awful. And that isn't really possible. I think with, if you have a more traditional style of music, um, hymns and, and Psalms and things like that. And so, but, but it's also the instruments uh, but a lot of churches, and this is especially outside reform circles, but even in some reform circles where the, you know, they, they do more entertainment style worship and mm-hmm. then the songs they pick. Right. And so you're just singing the same chorus over and over again. And the men are not getting into it. Right. It's mostly geared towards women and it's pretty effeminate. And, um, and so like men like myself, I always, I, I always kind of had a problem with, a lot of churches I go to, I was like, man, I just don't like their services very well. And there's a reason for that. It's because their services are, are garbage. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and that's a modern thing. I mean, we've departed from, you know, the, the music of old. And uh, I'm not saying we can't have new hymns or sing newer songs. It's just that, um, and there is some good stuff, like RUF type songs, I think are more modern hymns that are good. Um, but so the music's a big problem, but it, it, 
you know, that's even tied just with their view of worship in general, where it's just like basically a sermon and five, you know, songs instead of, right. instead of those songs being part of the service, but also having, you know, prayers of confession and a call to worship and communion. Proper liturgy. Yes. Yes. So I, I think there is somewhat of a recovery and renewal of liturgy and reform liturgy and tied with that i think there will be and is a um, appeal to to men and and uh masculine worship and um and so i i think we're we we can say there's all these terrible things happening but there are some good things too um, and it's not just you know I'm, i hope my book aids these things in, in some regard but yeah D- doug wilson has written a lot on these things um there's uh, um, Eric Kahn has the Hard Man podcast. There's uh, Michael Foster and Non-Tenant have the It's Good to Be a Man podcast, and they have a book coming out soon. So th- there's a lot of uh, men's resources out there. And uh, I'm not saying it's going to be easy because there's definitely going to be pastors and churches that resist these things. Um, but I think this is kind of an appeal to um, our, our history as Christians and a more, um, more manly, uh, men, manly, uh, Christians to look up to from the past, but also their teachings in the, in the Bible, right? I mean, the Bible has lots of yeah. manly men, whether it's, uh, David or the apostle Paul, uh, these are not effeminate, uh, soft men. And so in that sense, I'm, I'm optimistic about the future. Uh, so, so we touched on uh, oh, on on the liturgy and worship. Um, you know, the the hymns of the early church were literally psalms, which were a lot a lot of the times war psalms. Um, but uh, what 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 other practical ways is there to restore masculine masculinity to the American church? Uh, I mean, it's it's got to be more than just having a pancake breakfast and you know you know every every hunting season getting the guys together to go hunting. Um, what, how, how do we foster a, an ethos of masculine men in worship in, in your estimation? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, I think it has to start from the pulpit and you need masculine men in the pulpit. That's, that's the first thing that needs to happen because they're going to lead and they're going to preach the scriptures. And so masculine, uh, preaching, as I argue in my book is a masculine task. And it's, uh, (laughs) I guess part of the reason you can have women get up there and do it in some churches is because, um, the preaching was already not very masculine. And so you don't notice the difference. Um, (laughs) but preaching should be authoritative and, you know, you're bringing God's word and proclaiming it. Uh, to to people in the pew, to to sinners who need who need the gospel, and need the scriptures to guide them in their lives. And um, and the Bible has a lot of things to say that are um, going to buck up against feminism, right? And so it calls men to responsibility and uh, to take action and to act like men, right? Paul says that in First Corinthians. Oh, I, was, I, I know a lot whenever I was first getting, uh, see, I was raised in a Pentecostal church under a female in Pastrix. 
uh, that's, you know, a pastor, but an impastor. Anyways, um, and so whenever I, I left that church in my teenage years, and then I came to faith uh, probably about in my 20s, I just read the scriptures, and I got in a lot of trouble for just saying what Paul said uh, about the women's roles within a church, like not even within like the civil the civil sphere, but just within a church. Be like, yeah, women women shouldn't preach, and man, I about got excommunicated from a lot of people. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you're not supposed to even say that today, which is which is wild, even though it's pretty clear in um, in the Bible. I just never understood how they got from, you know, uh, you know, Paul laying out the, the qualifications of an elder, uh, saying that women shouldn't teach men, how they jump all the way over that to like, oh yeah, let's put a woman in the pulpit. I, I didn't understand that way of thinking. Uh, your, your book, you know, whenever you're, you're bringing out the egalitarians and the feminist, uh, commentaries, um, I kind of understand their argument now, but they're still baloney. Yeah, I mean, I try to be fair to the feminists and actually uh, state their their views and interact with their arguments. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think they have good arguments. <laughs> so uh, they're trying to undermine uh, the clear teaching of Scripture. And so, um, yeah. Um, <clears throat> speaking of men acting like men, um, one of the other... Uh, criticisms, and I've made my I've made this criticism myself, is that I see a lot of the pastors uh, today, like men pastors, aren't really competent. They are the kind of guy who haven't, have never done any kind of real labor. Um, they they don't know how to do things for themselves. To be the men coming up and teaching you how to be a man. And there seems to be like a stark contrast between, even if they have good sermons, what they're preaching about masculinity, and then what they're living. How do you think that, I guess two questions, how do you think that's affecting this problem? And uh, I guess, what do you think about that idea in general? Yeah, I think... uh... I heard a podcast with Eric Kahn and he was talking about this. Um, I think part of this is just a lot of people today, you know, we, we grow up with more, with better technology. And so, you know, so somebody was just challenges. It's harder to fix your car today with all the electronics on it than it used to be. And so you maybe need to go to a specialist mechanic. Um, so I think there's something to this, um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't overstate it uh, because there's also just different types of you know jobs, and I don't think we want to denigrate, you know, maybe more desk jobs or something compared to more hands-on jobs. Yeah, so certainly a man who works as a mechanic or a plumber or something, he probably has a lot more handy skills. Uh, around the house just it's partly related to his his field um it's good for men to be competent in a variety of things but um you know it's hard to be competent in everything so i mean you want to have it like a base level competency but there's going to be a time where you have to call the uh the plumber or something like that right 
So right. I, 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 don't, I think we should be careful and not go too far with that. Um, okay. But part of it's maybe just maturity, right? And, and having mature men in the pastorate. Um, and maybe mm-hmm. a lot of pastors are coming right out of seminary. They might've gone pretty early out of college. And so, you know, they might be 25 years old, <laughs> you know, still pretty young. Um, but usually those aren't senior pastors. So, you know, I, I think there may be something to this that it, it's helpful to have worked in a in different field or uh, uh, different jobs before being a pastor. I know that was, that was the case for me. I've, I've done a variety of things uh, before I uh, started pastoring. So I think that helps. You're going to have more competence, competency. You're just going to have more skills. Um, but at the end of the day, I think some of this is just a demeanor and uh and, and it's, it's deeper than that. It's, it's, and, and maybe, maybe part of the reason they don't have general competency is related to just being softer in general. Um, but, but I don't think the one necessarily follows from, from the other. Um, so some of it might just be tough, you know, tough and things like that. Right. I mean, you know, guy played football or, something like the hunt, but he, you know, can't change the oil on his car. He's he's not a good pastor, not going to make good pastor. You know, I don't, I don't think that matters, but, um, so yeah, I guess that's, I think there's probably just deeper issues at play that maybe explains both. If that makes sense. No, that makes sense. Fair enough. Um, last question, um, that I have that I sent to you earlier, um, how is masculine Christianity set apart from the general, uh, the general view of men's ministry? I think Michael Foster calls it, it's just women's ministry with bacon. Um, men are are just supposed to step up and do better. They're supposed to quote lead better, but we don't really know what the, what lead better actually means. Um, could could you explain like how how being a masculine Christian, uh, which you said at the beginning of the book was, was basically a um, not not an oxymoron, but a um, repeating yourself basically like because Christianity is by necessity masculine. How how is it being a masculine Christian different than like say promise keepers or something? Well, I think the Bible is very clear on what a man and a woman should be. And so that's really what we're talking about is that God created men to lead, to exercise authority, and, um, and they have responsibility. So, you know, man is supposed to uh, get a job and, and cultivate skills in some area that can bring in income. And uh, he's supposed to marry and take a wife. And so there's responsibilities, not only for his uh, area of work, but also his wife, he needs to provide for her and Lord willing children. And so he needs to lead. And uh, the wife has a very important role there, but she's a helper to her husband, right? That's straight out of Genesis two. And uh, she's to submit to her husband and her husband is to uh, lead. He's supposed to exercise godly authority Right, which involves pr- providing, but also providing for, but also protecting his family. So that's that's really, I think, the what the Bible talks about with masculinity. And as Christians, 
we're being sanctified. We're being made more like Christ. And that means that a Christian man should become a godlier man, you know, grow in his masculinity. And a woman should, uh, a Christian woman should grow in her femininity. She should be a godly Christian woman. So those are distinct things. I know we have androgyny in our culture. They want to blend these two. And I think the church often wants to do the same thing as if men and women are supposed to look the same, even as Christians. And that's just not true. They have different duties in life, different roles, and uh, they do complement one another. Um, but, um, but they're different and that's a good thing. And, um, so, yeah, I think that's where the emphasis is going to be. And, uh, you know, there's going to be different ways of approaching men's ministries. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know too much about promise keepers or, but, but I just know that a lot of the men's ministries in the past or the way they've tried to reach them has maybe left out some of these aspects or they haven't emphasized them uh, enough. Well, that, that was, uh, that was, I guess all we had. I, I, I feel a little conflicted right now um, because my, uh, all my favorite people today are Presbyterians <laughs> and, and I'm a Baptist. So, <laughs> hey, um, well, maybe, maybe there's, you know, something you could do there. <laughs> <laughs> Bring the um, Presbyterians but, over. Yeah, that's right. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no! In all seriousness, Zach, uh, your 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 influence has been very edifying for me, and I greatly appreciate your your work. And uh, I'll be digging into some of your other stuff because uh, you've been very helpful just with the two books that I've read from you. So, uh, well, good. Thanks Thank for. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, you know, you're, you're benefiting from there. Let, let me also mention, I do have a, a website uh, where I write on just Bible topics. I've got some other guys writing with me, but that's uh, knowingscripture.com. So we, we write on a variety of things, not just uh, masculinity um, or education or, or Dabney, but um, which those are great topics, but, but we, we write on. He says we topics. beat many horses. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. So uh yeah, you don't want to be a you don't want to be a one trick pony. It's good to have some uh, some other yeah. uh, areas. Uh, and, and the Bible talks about a lot of things, so obviously can't just be limited to these things. But but yeah, these are these are important areas in our uh, culture, and that's why I've tried to address them. Well, we want to be respectful of your time. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to add uh, add to this? You want to say uh, get off your chest, rant, rave, etc. <laughs> <laughs> uh no i i think we've probably said enough so far um there's lots of topics we could get into but we we hit we hit plenty for today well uh, we appreciate you coming on and um you have an open invitation if you ever have anything you want to say you know um we're, we're always looking for some some new material to to record and put out there into the uh the interwebs um, i'm actually really excited like we just started um we're about Four weeks or so in, I'd have to go back and count into um, my my church's men's group is studying through masculine Christianity, and um, oh nice, okay. yes, uh, that's what gave me like the idea. It's like, hey, since we're you know we read, I'm reading two books by the same author. Let's have them on, you know. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, yes, 
and uh, we'll, we'll get this shared out. And then we'll, we'll put the link to your website and both books in the descriptions. And um, hopefully you'll get you'll generate a ton more sales. Yeah, great. Well, I appreciate that, guys. Well, thank you very much for your time, brother. And uh, uh, I thank you again for your work. And may the Lord bless you. Yeah, thank you so much. May he bless you guys as well. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening in on our podcast. If you like what you hear, please share and comment wherever you're listening to it. And check out our Gab page at Dixie Polis Podcast. If you want to contact us, please send an email to DixiePolis at ProtonMail.com or send us a message on Gab. If you like the music we're playing, hang out a little while and let the song finish. It's Wayfaring Stranger by Southern Raised, and you can listen to them on YouTube or go to their website at southernraisedbluegrass.com. God bless y'all. Gather